This episode has been brought to you in part by the Azrieli Music Prizes. Join them in celebrating artistic excellence at the AMP Gala Concert, live from Maison Symphonique in Montreal, happening October 20th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Orchestre Metropolitain will premiere award-winning music by laureates Aharon Harla, Iman Habibi, and Rita Ueda. Learn more at azrielifoundation.org backslash AMP. And he was there on the second floor. I saw how he was pushed with the rifle, the windows closed, the curtains closed, and that is really the last time I saw him alive. That's Anki Spitzer, the widow of Andre Spitzer, the coach of Israel's Olympic fencing team, who was killed at the 1972 Munich Olympics by Palestinian terrorists who took 11 Israelis hostage 50 years ago. She's speaking in a clip in the documentary called After Munich. It tells the story of the massacre and its impact on four women, the widow, two female Mossad agents who were sent in later, and a track and field athlete whose coach was killed. The documentary was produced by a Canadian filmmaker who spent years on the story, watching as the victims' families have been fighting to get justice. The families were even planning to boycott the official memorial ceremony planned for Munich next week, but Germany and Israel just announced a deal. Germany will make an official apology for the first time. They'll investigate the botched security measures at the Olympics, and they'll pay the families nearly $40 million in compensation, eight times more than they got right after the murders. The milestone is welcome news for the documentary's director, Francine Zuckerman. I sent a, a text to Anki Spitzer and I said, bravo, finally, you know, she has been fighting for this for so long. She's been committed to this cause for so long. She is trying to do something to... to She's so committed to, you know, understanding that we have to talk about this because so it doesn't happen again. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, September the 1st, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Toronto's Francine Zuckerman says she was too young to remember the massacre when it happened that day in September 1972, but she became fascinated with finding out more after she learned there were untold Canadian angles to the whole tragic story. Zuckerman's been on a speaking tour these last few weeks, showing her film for the first time to audiences in Germany and Israel and England, because although the documentary came out in 2019 here in Canada, once the pandemic hit, nobody else got to see it overseas, not even the people she profiles. Coming up, Zuckerman will join us to share why there are still important lessons to be learned. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Jenna Lewinsky in Efrat, Israel. And this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. The Prime Minister says there's going to be a full investigation into how the government paid a racist anti-Semite about a half million dollars in recent years, even as the man, Laith Marouf, kept tweeting hateful things about Jews and Zionists and Indigenous people and Francophones. As you've heard, the former Montrealer has been teaching government-funded anti-racism seminars this year to journalists across the country, until all the publicity about his views came out, 
and the contract was canceled last week. Now Justin Trudeau says they're going to go back and look into all the departments the man and his wife and their company got money from over the years and see why no one noticed he's a racist. And the director of the film, Francine Zuckerman, spoke to us from Tel Aviv. In the the time leading up to the uh, 50th anniversary date, there has been a lot of controversy, as you mentioned, that the families have decided, some of them, uh, most of them, uh, were going to boycott the actual official ceremony because there are, as you said, in negotiations to up the compensation that the German government gave. Can you tell us a bit about this whole uh, latest developments and uh, what your thoughts are? Do you think they're right? Sure. Uh, so Anki Spitzer, who's in my film and who was representing the, uh, the 11 families, um, she uh, really was at the forefront, and you'll see that in my film, to try and firstly to get acknowledgement because the in 1972, the Olympics went on after all of these Israeli athletes were murdered. And she was devastated by that, understandably. Um, then th- she asked many, many times, um, asked the head of the Olympic Committee uh, the next in Montreal, the next uh, four years later, and again and again and again for for acknowledgement of what happened. And it wasn't until Rio, which is unbelievable, that they finally got some acknowledgement. She wasn't asking for compensation. They weren't asking for compensation. They were ac- asking for acknowledgement. Now they're asking for compensation. The latest I had heard when I was in Berlin is that they, um, the the German government was, uh, it was 5.4 million euros. They just announced yesterday that it's 30 million euros. And um, I had heard through um, my contacts that it may be more than that. So it looks like there's going to be a settlement. It looks like a lot of the Israeli dignitaries were not going to go because the families weren't going. Now we're just waiting to hear what the final decision is. But I'm guessing that they will go now that the compens- they're actually um, they're being compensated. So it, it's quite a huge deal. Now. Let's take a, a moment to talk about the film that you made, of course, the documentary that you made. Why take it from the female point of view, from those four characters' point of view? Well, they were, you know, none of the women, female athletes were murdered. So so sh- the, the men were. So there was no, there were no athletes left from uh, male athletes left that were, um, that actually there were very few, maybe there was one or two. But I really was interested in, Looking at what it was, all my films have been female-centered, um, uh, what it was like to actually be there that day. And Anki was um, was there and went back to Holland because she's Dutch and then was going to go back when she heard what was going on. At that point, she didn't know that Andre was had been murdered. And so I just felt like it's a story we don't hear enough. We don't hear enough for them from the women. And I really wanted to hear from the women. Plus... How often do you hear about Mossad agents that are women? And so um, both Marianne Gladnikoff and Sylvia Raphael were um, Mossad agents. Sylvia was very highly trained. She wanted to be on the mission to assassinate the head of at Black September in 73, Ali Hassan Salome. Marianne wasn't highly trained. She was pulled in last minute because she spoke Norwegian and they were going to, they found out that they got intel that, that Ali Hassan Salome was in Norway. And she um, and her story is very different from Sylvia's story, is very different from Anki's story. She, she is suffer, truly suffers from PTSD. And I wanted to, to really share the idea that 
different people deal with trauma differently and the impact of war. And so, you know, I was just really looking at that and I, and I, I feel I'm very committed to telling women's stories. So that was, that was my choice. Tell me a bit about any Canadian sort of angles or, or storylines that are in this film that our audience should know about. Sure. Well, that's how the film started. I was listening to CBC radio, our great national radio and Moti Kafir who was the supervisor for uh, the Mossad supervisor for Sylvia Raphael, was interviewed launching a book that he just had written about Sylvia Raphael. And Sylvia Raphael had a Canadian identity. She had the identity of a woman in Montreal called Patricia Roxenberg. And for a year, she lived under this assumed identity and she became a photographer and she lived in Canada and photographed and then was pulled back in. So that was while she was working for the Mossad, while she she carried on um, training and then she went back to Israel and continued went on the mission on several missions. That fascinated me because it was a Canadian angle. It was a Canadian story. What was it about Canada? Why? So we don't delve into it as much as I would have liked to because Sylvia died ten years ago. She had a passport when they were arrested. That was a Canadian passport. It was a fake one or it was a real one. We don't know. Somehow she got a real passport and. Leave it to Sylvia Raphael to get a real passport. What other angles did the film uncover? Well, I don't deal with it in the film, but after I finished the film, this I found this fascinating because I traveled with it. I found out there was a woman who was a Canadian athlete. She's a swimmer in Vancouver. And she um, was with her teammates in um, at the 1972 Munich Olympics. And they competed the first time. Uh, and they they did their the first round, and then um, they went off for the evening, and they went out and to hang out together, and then when they came back, they didn't want to go through the main entrance, so they actually decided to climb over the fence, and so as they were climbing over the fence, there were several guys climbing over the fence with them, and they helped each other, and she later found out that they were Palestinian terrorists. Oh my God, and wow. And she's Jewish and she couldn't talk about it for 20 years. And why wasn't she able to talk about it? It, it was traumatic, totally traumatic, that when she realized who they were. I videotaped her when I saw her in Vancouver, so I, I, it is something that I'll probably put on the website. We do have um, an incredible website, aftermunich.com, where we actually deal with this idea of terrorism and what's happened post 72. And we really look at things like 9-11 and what's happened over many, many years and delve into it and how different people are being, have been affected by terrorist. Um, and and uh, really important to know, in 1972, the Olympics were televised all around the world. And it was the first time that actually, after that, the, these kinds of um, um, terrorist events became breaking news, right, 24-7. And that's and the terrorists used that. They knew that it was being televised. So they used that to promote their cause. And I think that um, 72 was the beginning of that. And now, you know, look at what we um, how we have to deal with 24 seven coverage. What is left to learn from this massacre? Well, you know, that's a that's a really good question, because even though we do have to tell the story so it doesn't happen again. It is happening again. And so can we learn something from this? I hope so. I mean, I think that the only thing we can do is, is strive for peace. And, um, you know, the film is really, it's ultimately 
the the context is about the Israeli uh, the Israeli Palestinian con- conflict, but it's really about the impact of war, and I think that's what you feel when you're watching the film. You understand that this is going through the generations. That we ha- we have to look at how things can change in the world. I don't know how we do it. It's a huge challenge. Will we ever see peace in Israel? Um, I hope so. Um, but like Anki says at the end, you know, she when when you see the film at the end, and she says, I you know, I really hope that we. She's standing at the Gaza border, um, in Israel, in the Gaza border, uh, hoping for peace. So, I think that's all we can hope for, and everything we can do as individuals, as politicians, as um, dignitaries, as you know, anything we can do to promote peace. Who did you not get into your film that you had hoped would be a main character? Um, so, in so in 1973, when they went to to Norway to assassinate Ali Hassan Salome, uh, when the Mossad team went, um, there was they made a mistake, as you know, when you watch the film, they uh, killed the wrong man, um, uh, Bushiki. His name was Bushiki, and I was very interested in interviewing his wife and talking to her because I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we talked to the the victims because she really was a victim as well in some way and she hung up on us she was not interested um i was also in as you probably know in 1979 another mossad team and they went to beirut to assassinate ali hassan salome and successfully did and there was um uh so that mossad team there was a woman who headed up the team and she's somewhere in hiding well i believe here in israel and I tried to get her, and I couldn't. And there was also, once they successfully assassinated um, Ali Hassan Salome, his widow um, was Miss Universe 1971, and she lives in Beirut, and I tried to get to her. It took me almost a year, and I tried everything to try and reach her. So I wanted to hear, that, even though she, I understand she denies that her husband was ever involved, I wanted to hear what she had to say. I thought it would be fascinating part of the story. But none of them wanted to be in the film, so I, I'm very happy with the, those who agreed. Don't forget you can watch this fascinating documentary called After Munich for free. It's on CBC Gem, and we put the link for you in the show notes. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to a new listener, Jamie Strachan of Toronto. We'll be back on Tuesday with a fresh show, so have a good long weekend. If you're in Toronto, come and find us. We'll be at the CJN booth at the Ashkenaz Festival down at Harbourfront on Sunday and Monday. 